to Authentic with Dr. Greg Ammons, the podcast where we look at aspects of the Christian faith so we can live a real, genuine, authentic life for Jesus Christ. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Authentic. I'm Dr. Greg Ammons. I'm the senior pastor of the First Baptist Church of Garland, Texas, and we are following up in these five questions from a sermon series I had a while back at First Baptist Church entitled Asking for a Friend. We looked at questions perhaps you may have wondered but did not want to ask about the Christian life or the Bible or God. And today we're following up with five questions about hell. Five questions about hell. Hell is an interesting topic because uh, many people in America do not believe in hell, do not believe that a loving God would create a place called hell. And so because of that, about 20% more Americans believe in heaven than they do believe in hell. So uh, I, I don't blame them. I mean, personally, if I was not following the Lord Jesus Christ, I would not want to believe that there is a place called hell out there. So, again, about 20% more Americans believe in heaven than believe in hell. But the Bible does teach us uh, that hell is real, that it is a real place. In fact, if you just count the number of references that Jesus made about heaven and about hell, Jesus talked much more about hell than he did about heaven. So that, that is interesting that, that he would talk about it more than he talked about heaven. First of all, let's look just a little bit about uh, hell and then we'll get into our five questions. Uh, first of all, according to traditional Christian doctrine, hell in the Bible is a place of future punishment and the final destination for unbelievers in Jesus Christ. It's described in the Bible with such terms as uh, eternal fire, uh, outer darkness, a uh, place of weeping and torment. It's called the lake of fire. It's called the unquenchable fire. Uh, hell is called the second death. And the Bible teaches the terrifying reality that hell is a place of complete, unending separation from God. Now, there are four words the Bible uses to describe hell. Uh, one Hebrew word is the most common Hebrew word is the word Sheol, S-H-E-O-L. That occurs about 65 times in the Old Testament and that is translated hell. It's also translated the grave or death or destruction or the pit. And because of the word Sheol, there are some people that believe in annihilationism. In other words, that, well, you just go to the grave, you go to the, to the pit, you don't go down to another place called hell Whenever you die, you just go to the cemetery, and, and that's all. But that is not what the, the Hebrew Bible was trying to convey by using the word Sheol. Sheol did describe what the New Testament further described as hell. Second biblical word for hell uh, is a Greek word in the New Testament uh, translated Hades. Uh, the word, Greek word Hades is translated hell in the New Testament, similar to Sheol, and often associated with the place of torment for the wicked. Now what's interesting about, about Hades is traditionally, now the Bible doesn't say this, but tradition says that Hades 
uh, it was described as a prison with gates and bars and locks, and the location was downward. So from that tradition of Hades is where we get the thought that hell is down, heaven is up, and that hell is down. Also in the Luke passage, the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man looked up into heaven. So because of that, traditionally uh, hell is, is considered to be down. A second Greek word that's used uh, to describe hell is the word Gehenna, G-E-H-E-N-N-A. And that was originally taken from a valley southwest of Jerusalem called the Valley of Hinnom, H-I-N-N-O-M. The valley is still there today. In fact, you can see it whenever you visit Israel. There, the southeastern tour bus usually passes uh, the, the Valley of Hinnom. And in the New Testament, the Valley of Hinnom uh, became known as, as hell or a reference to hell or the fires of hell as the final place of judgment and punishment for sinners. Now, what's interesting, uh, Gehenna or the Valley of Hinnom in the, New, in the Old Testament, um, this became a place of child sacrifices to the pagan god Molech. That's described in Second Kings rather, chapter 16. And so it was a place of child sacrifice, uh, Gehenna was. Later on, the Jewish people used this valley as a dumping ground for garbage. It became known as the, the town garbage dump. Um, dead animal carcasses would be out there. And, and also, whenever a criminal was executed and, and a family member did not claim the body, which is very common, family members would not claim the bodies of criminals, Whenever someone would be executed in Jerusalem in biblical days and family members did not claim the body, they would take the bodies then and just dump them out in, the, in, in Gehenna, in, in the Valley of Hinnom. And so at any time you went by there, it would be a place where fires would, would burn incessantly, garbage would be burning, you would see uh, bodies that would be burning uh, that would not be uh, claimed by family members after their execution. There would be wild animals that would come out at night and, and tear the flesh from the bodies. Uh, it was just a place that no Jew wanted to even think about. Uh, Gehenna was a horrible place, uh, just as you pass by it. And so it is interesting that Jesus used the word Gehenna, or the Valley of Hinnom, as a reference for hell uh, in the Jewish mindset in biblical days. So you have Sheol in the Old Testament, you have uh, Hades and Gehenna in the New Testament. There is one more Greek word that's only used um, one time in the New Testament to describe hell, and that is the word Tartarus, T-A-R-T-A-R-U-S. Tartarus, and literally meant lower regions. Uh, and so like Gehenna, Tartarus also designated the place of eternal punishment. Now, the only time Tartarus is used to describe hell is in 2 Peter 2.4, where it says, quote, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, or Tartarus, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the day of judgment. So, those are the terms or the words that are used in the Bible uh, to describe hell. Now, just a few comments before we get to the questions. What the Bible says about hell. Just a, a few comments. 
Jesus plainly taught the existence of hell. He, he spoke of hell, as I said, more often than He did of heaven. And with so many references to hell in the Bible, any serious believer must come to terms with this doctrine. Really, any serious a student of, of, of life needs to come to terms with the doctrine of hell. Uh, what the Bible says about hell, first of all, it describes it as punishment that is eternal. Uh, Isaiah 66, 24 talks about, they will go out and look upon the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me, God said, where the worm will not die and the fire is not quenched and they will be loathsome to all mankind. That's Isaiah 66, 24. Jesus then followed that up and told us in the New Testament that, that hell is punishment and that it is eternal. In other words, you cannot escape from hell. Now, there are a lot of Americans who believe in, in as I mentioned, what's called annihilationism, and I, it seems more tolerable than hell. I, I don't blame them for wanting to believe in that. But the Bible nowhere teaches annihilationism that, in other words, as soon as you die, that, that you, do, you cease to exist, that you no longer totally annihilated, you no longer exist anymore. The Bible does not teach that. What it does teach is that hell is eternal and that it is punishment for uh, your sins, uh, and of course your, your sins being unforgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah, their neighboring towns, they also were filled with immorality and they were destroy, destroyed by fire as well to serve as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. That's in Jude uh, verse 7, the book of Jude talks about Sodom and Gomorrah being an example that destroyed by fire, literal fire, burning fire, sulfur fire, that is a warning to those um, who turn away from Jesus Christ and will be destroyed in eternal punishment of God's judgment. So first of all, punishment in hell is eternal. Second of all, the Bible teaches that hell is a place of separation from God. Personally, I believe that's the worst part of hell is not anything literal that may be fire or, or brimstone. I believe the worst part of hell is going to be separation from our Creator, separation from God. We have never known for, for one moment total and complete an eternal separation from God Almighty. We've never known that in our entire lives on earth, never experienced that. We, we have what's got, what is called God's general revelation to us, His general care. In other words, God sustains us. Um, He's there if we want to turn to Him in the person of Jesus Christ. But in hell, there is a total and complete and eternal separation from God that's described in 2 Thessalonians 1.9 where it says they will be punished with eternal destruction Listen to the next phrase, forever separated from the Lord and from His glorious power, end quote. So, 2 Thessalonians 1.9 tells us that hell will be a place where we're eternally separated, totally separated from God Himself. Uh, another fact about hell uh, is that from the Bible is that it's a place for the wicked Psalm 9.17 says the wicked will return to Sheol. All the nations that forget God will be in Sheol. So it is a place for the wicked. And the Bible also tells us another fact 
that the wise will avoid hell. Listen to what Proverbs 15.24 says. It says, The way of life winds upward for the wise, that he may turn away from hell below. So the way of life for the wise is upward, and the wise turn away from hell below. That's Proverbs again, 15.24. So those are some of the teachings, uh, the words used in the Bible for hell, and the teachings about hell from Scripture. Now let's look at five uh, quick questions about hell itself. Question number one, people have wondered before, is hell literal or figurative? Whenever Jesus describes hell, is, is He describing something that is literal or something that is figurative? Well, the Bible does use some very vivid, uh, horrible, fearsome language to describe hell. Uh, it is described as Matthew thirteen fifty. It is described as a furnace of fire and the gnashing of teeth. Now, whenever Jesus made these statements, did He mean that it was literal fire as we know fire, a furnace of fire, um, or is that symbolic language? Is Jesus using the symbol of fire just to point to a reality but hell is not really fire as we know it. Well, we are given no indication in Scripture that Jesus' words are symbolic, uh, that they are figurative, that they are figures of speech. Sometimes in the Bible, we, He does use figures of speech, and we clearly know they are figures of speech. However, when He describes hell, nowhere does He ever tell us now that hell is like fire or hell is like the gnashing of teeth. He says that it is fire and that it is the gnashing of teeth. So I don't see any, any reason that we should assume that it's symbolic when Jesus is describing literal terms to describe hell. Not only that, you can't just pick and choose from the Bible what you want to be literal and what you want to be symbolic. I mean, if hell seems a little unpalatable for people, a little too uh, graphic or fearsome, they just assume, well, Jesus meant that to be figurative. Well, I don't think you can assume that. And we cannot have the freedom, just at our own discretion, to pick and choose which portions of the Bible are literal and which one are symbolic. I believe that you have to assume that Jesus is describing actual flames. Um, some people have said, well, to describe it as metaphorical or figurative is to be giving people in hell an air conditioner. Well, I don't, I don't know about that, but, but um, I, I think the Bible, there's no reason for us to assume that it is figurative. I believe Jesus seems to be referring here to literal, actual uh, uh, fire. I, I know it's a real place. Uh, regardless whether it's flames or not, it's a place you do not want to be. And again, going back to the Jude passage, verse 7, where it describes Sodom and Gomorrah as an example of hell, Sodom and Gomorrah, that they experienced a literal burning fire themselves. So, I don't think there's any reason to believe that it is not a literal fire that Jesus is referring to whenever He speaks so often of hell. 
Question number two. This is a question I get a lot and I've heard many, many times. Why would a loving God send anybody to hell? Question number two. Why would a loving God send anyone to hell? My immediate response to that is God does not send anyone to hell. He doesn't send them there. People choose to go there. After everything God has done to keep them out of there, they have chosen to reject Him and reject His plan of salvation through Jesus Christ and so He does not send anyone there. They choose to go there in spite of all that God has done to provide a way of salvation for them. So, He doesn't send them. They, they choose to go. But I think another question you have to ask is, um, God reveals enough in nature so that we're without excuse. And so, I think the question you must ask yourself in, in answering why would a loving God send someone to hell is, why have people not responded to what God has already shown them of Himself in nature around us? Romans 1.20 tells us, Paul is writing to the, to the Romans there, and he said that God has given us enough in what's called general revelation. Uh, the, 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 uh, just how intricate the world is designed. He has given us enough in creation to point us to a God to a Creator, to, to one who has a loving plan for us. So, why did they choose to reject what they knew of God in creation and, and reject Him to the point of living their life, dying their death, and then going to an eternal place of separation? God has revealed Himself to us uh, so that we would turn and seek Him, is what Paul said in Romans 1. The Bible also tells us, Luke 19.10, God will be found by those who seek Him. So, if you want to know the Lord, you can know the Lord. He will be found by you if you seek Him. If you, as Jeremiah said, seek Him with all of your heart. Uh, another aspect of why would a loving God send someone to hell is that God is a holy God and God is a just God. Why would you have only one place of eternity and people like Adolf Hitler and Billy Graham sharing the same eternity? What kind of just God would do that? Seriously, I mean, what, what kind of just or holy God would have Charles Manson and Billy Graham in the, in the same location with their Creator? In the same Hitler and Billy Graham or or, or King David or, or others sitting in the same place. What kind of just God would do that? They they can't be in the same location for eternity. I mean, so so there has to be some type of separation. If God is loving any at all and just any at all, there must be a time of separation between those who have trusted the Lord and been declared the righteousness of Jesus and those who never have been covered by the blood of Jesus. Question number three. Another good question about hell. Why did God create it in the first place? If God is loving, 
Why would He even create hell at all? Well, let me follow up that question with the question about uh, this earthly life. Why do good humans have jails? Why, why do humans, if, if humanity is basically good, which a lot of Americans believe they are, why would a good American or a good human have a jail? Why, why not just let serial killers and, and everyone else, why not just let them live among us? Why are, why are jails created? Well, Obviously, I believe that a loving and a just God would create a place that's designed for those who reject Jesus and whose sins are not covered under the blood of Christ. Now, the Bible makes it very clear that hell was not created for humans at all. It was never created for a place for humans to be. Revelation 20.10 says that. Matthew 25.41 states that. Hell was created for Satan and his demons. Now, you may remember they originally were created good. Uh, Lucifer, the angel, rebelled against God, fell from heaven, took one-third of the angels from heaven, <clears throat> excuse me, who chose to rebel with him. And so they were cast out of heaven and hell was created for them. Hell was never created for humans to ever be a part of it. Now, there are some people that say that God created hell after uh, Genesis, the, the, the first six days of creation. Because at the end of six days, the Bible tells us that everything God created was very good in Genesis 1.31. And later on, it describes a place He had created that is not good uh, and so a lot of people assume, now we're never told this in the Bible, but a lot of people assume that God created hell after the seventh day after He rested and it was created as an addendum to all the good creation after humanity fell in Genesis 3, uh, then after that and Satan fell, then, then of course obviously it was created after that. Now we don't know that, that's just speculation by some people. But again, another uh, in answering the question, why would God create hell? Yes, He did create hell. Hell is not eternal, so it has never always existed. Um, and so if there's something that is not eternal, then yes, God had to create it at some point. So yes, He did create hell. But in answering the question, why, again, I go back to there has to be some place for those people who reject God. Those people who reject Jesus, again, you don't have Hitler and Billy Graham sharing the same location for eternity. There has to be some place for those who reject God and, and reject Jesus. Why would a loving God create hell? I would answer by saying because He is loving. Because He is just. And because He is, there must be a place of separation. Now, having said that, God has given every single human being the free will to choose Him or reject Him. So, with that free will, there are some people who choose to reject Him, knowing the consequences will be that they go to this place that was not created for humans. It was created for Satan and his demons. So, 
they know that. They've heard that. They've been told that. And they choose to reject what God has done for them. So, if they willingly choose to reject it, then God has created a place for those who reject Him uh, known as hell. Question number four about hell. Whenever you're in hell, are you alone or do you have a sense of community? Are you alone or are you together with other people who are comprising hell? Well, in answering that question, let me read a passage that Jesus spoke in Luke 16. I find it fascinating. Luke 16, verses 19 to 31. Let me read it. Listen carefully with hell in mind in answering these questions. And it's called, of course, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Verse 19 says, There was a certain rich man. Now, it kind of sounds like Jesus had somebody in mind. Certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar. Again, sounded like Jesus had someone in mind. So I don't think this is a parable. I think this is an actual event. Some people have said, well, this is a parable. Well, Jesus never said, call someone in a parable by their given name. And here he does, a beggar named Lazarus. So I don't, I don't think it's parabolic. Verse 20, there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at the rich man's gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Verse 22, so it was that the beggar died, was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom, the rich man also died and was buried. Notice the difference, by the way, between those who die in Christ, carried by angels, and those who die without Christ. Oh, they died and were buried. Verse 23. And being in torments, plural, whenever something is plural in Scripture, it means it's intensified. And being in torments in Hades, the rich man lifted up his eyes... And saw Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. And likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. Verse 26, And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf that is fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, and those from there to us cannot. And then he said, I beg of you therefore, Father, that you would send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Verse 29, Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said, If they do not have hear Moses and the prophets, 
neither will they be persuaded though one rise from the dead. Now, to me that is a fascinating passage and tells us so much about hell. So, again, back to our question. In hell, is a person alone or is there a sense of community? Whenever you look at this passage, there is no sign that this rich man who is in hell has any sense of community. The rich man appeared to be alone. The rich man appeared to be tormented. The rich man did not appear to be aware of anyone else in hell with him. In fact, he did not even desire community. He said, he said Abraham, I beg of you, Send Lazarus to my brothers. I have five brothers. I do not want them to come here. I mean, if, if, if hell was a place of community, wouldn't the rich man have said, I want my brothers to come here and let's all, let's all be together. No. He, he did not even desire community. So in this Luke 16 passage, which Jesus spoke, there is no sense that the rich man desired community nor that he was in it at that time himself. Now occasionally as, as pastor, I will, I'll have somebody tell me, well, I, preacher, I don't want to go to heaven. I want to go to hell. My buddies and I, we're going to go to hell and we're going to bust it wide open. We're going to take hell by storm. We're going to have a party down there and we're going to, I don't want to be in heaven with all the good folks. I want to be down here with my buddies and we're going to have a keg party. Well, well, there's no sense of anything in Scripture and you don't find it from the rich man here either in Luke 16 that there is any sense of a party going on or a keg of beer or anyone else around. All you see is a man very lonely begging that his brothers don't come there and a man begging that Lazarus, an old, an old sore leper, basically, would touch his finger in water and come dip it and put it on his tongue. No sense of community or a party or friends. In fact, hell appears to be the greatest sense of loneliness that you'll ever experience. Not for one moment, as I said, earlier, have we ever totally experienced total separation from God? We've always experienced His general revelation, but whenever you're separated from God in hell, there's no sign of community and the greatest sense of aloneness and loneliness you will have ever experienced will be what you experience in hell. Question number five and the last one. Whenever you're in hell, are you aware of your surroundings? Do you have a memory? Fifth question, do you have a memory? Are you aware of your surroundings? Are you aware of what took place on earth? Well, referring back to the passage I read a moment ago in Luke, um, Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31, the rich man appeared to have all of his memory and his faculties about him. He knew who Lazarus was. He knew who Abraham was. Even though he didn't live in the time frame of Abraham, he still knew who he was. He appeared to be able to look into heaven. 
Heaven did not appear, Lazarus did not appear to be able to look into hell, but, but the rich man did appear to be able to look into heaven. He knew who Abraham was. He knew who Lazarus was. He knew he had five brothers. And if you remember in verse 25, Abraham told the rich man, he said, Son, remember in your lifetime you received good things. So evidently he had a memory of his past life. So there appears to be from this passage evidence that in hell you do have a memory. You are aware of who you are, of the life you lived in the past, who your brothers and family are, and it's possible maybe, maybe even looking at this passage, that you're able to see into heaven what you're missing. Let me go one step further. There's another passage in Mark 9.41 where it's describing hell, and it says... Hell is a place of, of torment, weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then there's another phrase that's added It's very interesting. It says, and it's a place where the worm does not die. W-O-R-M. Where the worm does not die. Now, what in the world was that talking about? Well, the word worm there in Mark 9.41 as it's used was a literal reference in the Greek language to your conscience. So hell appears to be a place where your conscience, your, your, your ability to know right from wrong, your conscience never leaves you. Wow. Now think about that. Forget for a moment the flames and, and forget for a moment that if, if it's a literal flame, and, and it, forget for a moment the gnashing of teeth, just think of a place of separation from God, totally separated, you're all alone, the greatest loneliness you've ever experienced. And imagine for a moment it's a place where your conscience never leaves you. Wow, that, that indeed is a, is a dark place. You have a memory of your past sins, you have with your conscience, you have constant conviction. For many people, the Holy Spirit has convicted them of their need for Jesus on this earth and they, they turned away from that conviction, reject Christ, and then die in that state. So, hell could be a place where you remember for eternity Every time God convicted you to trust Jesus and every time you rejected that conviction and that constant conviction and that conscience stayed with you. What a powerful phrase in Mark 9.48 where it says, and the worm does not die. So evidently, yes, you are aware and a person has memory in hell. Well, those are the five questions about hell. Let me wrap up now by, by giving some key facts about eternity and then, then I'll close this, this episode. The Bible tells us, just in summary, everyone will exist someplace, either in heaven or in hell. Uh, Matthew 5, uh, 25, 46, John 5, 28, Revelation 20. They all tell us that everybody will exist somewhere, either heaven or hell. A second fact about eternity, the Bible tells us, everyone has only one life in which to determine their destiny. 
Everyone has only one life. There's no such thing as reincarnation. You don't get a chance after you die to have a second chance to get it right. Hebrews 9.27 tells us after the after everyone is appointed once to die and after this the judgment. So everybody only has one life in which to determine their eternal destiny. Third fact, heaven or hell is determined by whether a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to save them. Of course, John 3.16, John 3.36 tells us that heaven or hell, eternity, everlasting life, is determined by whether you place your faith in Jesus Christ or not. If you place your faith in Christ, heaven is your, is your home for eternity. If you do not, hell is your, is your destiny for eternity. And, of course, number four, the last key fact about eternity, hell is eternal and it is irreversible. Luke 14.11 talks about that. Luke, Luke 14.11, Revelation 14.11 talks about that. Revelation 20 verse 14 says this is the second death, the lake of fire. Revelation 20.15 says if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So the Bible makes it very clear that there is a hell. It's very real. And hopefully these questions that, that we, I pose today, hopefully these answers helped you some of the questions that you have about hell. Hope you have a good day and we will see you on the next podcast here of Authentic. You have been listening to Authentic with Dr. Greg Ammons. Join us next time for a new podcast whenever we discuss various aspects of the Christian life. Relating theological truths from God's Word to practical ways to live for Jesus Christ on a daily basis in a real, genuine, and authentic way.